The world has a lot of fears, and they all have names. The fear of wide open spaces is called agoraphobia. The fear of spiders, arachnophobia. The fear of needles, can you roll up your sleeve for me? Is known as trypanophobia. Okay, 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 just, 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 just. And the fear of heights, Acrophobia. If you're afraid of the dark, you've got nyctophobia. Oh! Fear of long words is hippopotomonstrosesquipedeliaphobia. Why would they call it that? And fear of being trapped in a confined space with no escape, claustrophobia. Most fears are bad, but there's one kind of fear that's good. The fear of God, realizing that he's powerful, he's in charge, and he loves you perfectly. When we understand this perfect love, it has a way of making us all not so afraid. So when it comes to fear, we have a choice. Fear God. or fear everything else, which, by the way, is called panophobia. Good morning. Panophobia. Yeah, sometimes I just feel like closing the doors, hiding in my bed and covering up my face. But not today. Today's a good day at the well. How many of you are glad to be at the well? I'm excited that you are here as well, and I want, to, uh, I want to, to, to show you what God has been showing me through um, a bunch of different things, and, and uh, this morning we're going to be talking about fear. And the title of the sermon is called Fearless, and uh, the text that we're looking at today is actually uh, Daniel chapter 3, it's the whole chapter, but we're really looking at a story. We're looking at a story in the Old Testament, and most of you, if you have any church background, are familiar with the story. It's the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. How many of you ever heard that story before? Most of you? Yeah. One of my favorite stories. Uh, it's, it's definitely one of my favorite stories that uh, I, I share with my kids and um, I tell them at night. And, and I'm the kind of guy that, the kind of dad that when I, when I tell stories to my kids and when I read, you know, from the Bible, um, I have a, a problem. I can't ever just read what's, you know, if I'm reading the, I, I, we use the Jesus Storybook Bible. There's one out there at the table. If you are wondering, you know, what's a good, what's a good Bible for me to read with my kids, you know, and I think it's good to read out of, out of the, you know, regular translations and things like that, you know, if you want to do some scripture memorization or help them with some small uh, scripture or thing like that, but um, we love the Jesus Storybook Bible. It's got, it's got great theology in a little children's Bible. It lays it out really well for them to understand in their language, and it, but it stays focused on what needs to be focused on. It doesn't dumb it down so much that Jesus has never mentioned anything like that. So, but when I when I read the Jesus Storybook Bible to my kids, or if I tell them in his stories, I like to I like to make it very dramatic. And so I'll be in their room, and we'll have we won't just read stories. We'll have kind of plays sometimes, you know. And uh, I, I'll, I'll embellish it a little bit and make it really fun for them. I, I kind of I ask that you do the same thing with your kids. Make it really fun for them to read the Bible. We want, we want them to love it. But this story has always struck a chord with me because I think a lot of the times as we read Scripture as adults, as we, as we read the stories in the Old Testament, especially if you've got a long church background, if you were raised in church, if you've heard these stories, what happens is, is that we read stories like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and, and we're so familiar with that story. We, we are, we, we're, we've, been, we've read it so many times, or we've heard about it so many times, or we've been, had it read to us so many times, that it kind of loses its, its, its flavor, its supernatural power. And so uh, today I want to kind of walk back through. We're going to read that story, and, and I want to kind of show you what that means for us and, and how that relates to Jesus Christ and, and how that relates to our lives. Because the fact of the matter is, for them to do what they did, they had to be fearless. I mean, they had to be fearless. They had to, they had to just push everything that the Word would tell them was important. They had to push that to the side and say, bring it. Bring it. Take anything away 
from me that you want. You can't take what's most important. Therefore, I can go through anything. And you'll see that in the story. And I think as, as Christians, I think as people, and some of you in here, with this many people in here, I know some of you are not Christians. Some of you say that you're Christians, but probably really aren't. What I want to tell you is that so many of us Christians and non-Christians, those of you who don't know Christ, you've never experienced what it's like to have everything that you've ever needed to have yourself completely filled up full so that you're lacking nothing, therefore you can withstand anything. And for many of us who are Christians, for those of us who, who claim the name of Christ, we live in such a way that, that we're, we, we don't show that we're fulfilled. Because we're always needing the next thing. We're always afraid that if we lose this thing, then it's going to really hurt us. And so we live in fear. We live in worry. And, and I know that there's a text in Matthew chapter 6 that says, do not worry about what's going on. Don't worry about tomorrow's trouble because tomorrow has enough trouble of its own. And, and, the, and the whole thing is, we, we think about it like, don't worry? What do you mean, don't worry? Do you know what, what, what my life is like right now? Do you know? The bills that are stacking up on my table and, and, and what that, how that compares to my income? Do, do you understand what I'm facing with my kids and they're starting to rebel and leave home? Don't worry. Do you understand that, that I have health issues? Do you understand that, that I have a boot on my foot and I can't climb trees, which I do for a living? Do you understand, God, what I'm going through right now? Do you understand what I'm facing? Don't worry. And I think it's this far out there idea that we, we actually can't, we can, but we have a hard time grasping the reality of who Jesus is so that it not only sounds good to us and feels good to us, but that it evidences itself in our lives. And it shows up in our lives in the difficult times and in the hard circumstances so that we're faced with trials, we're faced with just normal everyday things, you know, like, like, hard time paying your bills or you know kids that are a little unruly and, and they're not listening no terrible twos or terrible threes terrible fours terrible fives terrible sixes you, you know let me know when you want me to stop <laughs> terrible 19s terrible 31s won't be for about another week though and my birthday was not last friday i appreciate all the birthday wishes but my birthday is next friday so you can kick them back in on next friday i think terry corne said started all that so thanks buddy but uh, I really do appreciate it. So what I want to talk about today is, is how does it play itself out? How does, how does the reality of Jesus Christ and the fact that he fulfills play itself out in the way that we worry, the way that we fear, the way we walk through everyday life? What if it was possible and the Bible was true and that you could do what it was asking when it said don't worry about what you will wear or what you will have and all that type of stuff? What if you could actually live when you didn't worry all who in here thinks not worrying all the time is a great idea? Keep your hands up. Keep your hands up if you think that's a great idea. Now keep your hands up if you actually don't worry. Ben, you are the man. I love that guy. And I think he's telling the truth. I really do. He's the happiest guy I've ever met. Listen. I don't think that it's far off. And I do, and I do know that we're failed humans. We, we're sinful and even though, even if you know Jesus Christ, don't think that I'm up here saying that once you know Jesus, you'll be fine and dandy. You'll never worry again. Woohoo! As a matter of fact, once you know Christ as the leadership of your church, and many of you are finding out that the more you press into Christ, the more you walk and talk and, and push for him and fight for him, the harder Satan comes. So it's like, right, left, left. Oh, I expect the left again. I'm going to get it right. <laughs> oh, that hurt. And so I'm not telling you your life is going to be just peaches and cream because I will go ahead and tell you it's not. And so I'm not telling you that you will never worry again. It's going to be magically delicious, your life, and it's wonderful. You just, just take it as it comes and, and you never, ever worry again. No, what I'm telling you is, is that Jesus Christ is real. The resurrection really did happen. Death is overcome. You, if you know Christ, have been filled up full to the extent that you believe it. And in the the closer you press into Christ, the more realized you become of the ultimate reality of Christ, that he really did fulfill you, he really is in charge, he, he really is going to be with you till the end, he really is going to take care of you. The more you realize that, the more you press into that, the more you will get attacked, but the stronger you will be to defend against the attacks. Does that make sense? Jesus Christ is looking to transform you 
He is looking to transform you into a person that can handle anything that's thrown at him, no matter what. Let me show you how he's going to do that, all right? Let's pray before we get into this. Jesus, I feel your spirit here today. God, I, I feel it in, in the word that has already been given. I've, I've, I've seen you and felt you in, in the um, worship. God, I, I know that, that you are commanding the service, and I know that you are guiding this, and you're the captain here. And so we pray that, that you would help us to just take a seat on the bench and watch you work. God, we know that, that you've won the victory, that you've done everything that needed to be done. And now I pray, God, that those who are sitting under the sound of my voice who have not submitted to you and who are hard-hearted and right now are saying this is a joke, right now they're saying this is silly, you need to worry about yourself and take care of yourself. You're the only one that can knock down worry. God, I pray that you would that you would ravage their souls, God, that you would go after them in a ferocious manner, that you would, that you would break down every stronghold that, that binds them in, break the, the sins of uh, the chains of sin, break those uh, thoughts, uh, those pride, self, uh, self-exalting self thoughts that they have any hope of self-preservation. God, that you would show them that you are the only hope, you are the only fulfiller, you are the only redeemer, you are the only one that can bring them back to wholeness, fullness, and ultimate reality. God, show us today that there is a possibility that we could live fearlessly in this world. Show us how it's done and come and do the work yourself because if you left it up to us we would run and hide i pray it in jesus name all right we're looking at daniel chapter three <clears throat> it'll be a little bit of reading because uh, we've got to read the whole chapter for you to get the story but then we're going to break it down in big sections and uh, we're going to go from there okay <clears throat> let's go daniel chapter three starting in verse one King Nebuchadnezzar made an image <clears throat> of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth was 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, and the counselors, and treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. They stood right there before this image. I just want you to listen as we go through how many times it talks about gathering together and it talks about the image. Okay? It talks about basically, to break that down in our terms, because I'm, I'm not that smart, it, it, how many times it says, come and see, come and see, come and see. Okay? That'll be important later. It says, they all gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image, beholding it, <coughs> that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. You see, he set it up. How many times does it say, Nebuchadnezzar set it up? He set it up. He set it up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, you are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden, golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every other kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. He goes on. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the hornpipe lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, they pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then King Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. See, they're being brought again. They're being gathered again. <clears throat> so they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? 
Now, if you are ready, <clears throat> if you are ready now, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every other kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have handled, that I have made, if you're ready, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who, listen to this, and who is the God who will deliver you out of my hand? Who is this God that's going to deliver you out of my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to even answer you in this matter. Woo-hoo! Man, these guys are crazy. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. He can get us out, they said. But listen to this. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. My God can save me out of your hands. But if he doesn't, still not bowing down. Bring it. Then Nebuchadnezzar, listen, you would be too. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury. And the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You've seen, have you ever seen looking at someone and you're talking to them and you see them get mad in their face they think that they've got the hand up. They think that they've got the power in the relationship. They think that they've got their way. And all of a sudden they realize it's not going to go their way. It's not going to, to be what they thought it was going to be. And you can see the expression of their face grow from even not caring, happy, pride, rage. You ever seen that in someone? I've seen it in my three-year-old. Amen. He's got this thing, and we'll get back in just a second, but i got to tell you this. He's got this thing he's doing right now. And he'll ask, and he's cute as a button. He really is. Almost three. And he's got this thing, and he'll say, let's see, like, say he wants something, a snack. Dad, can I have a snack? No, you got to wait till dinner. And his smile gets actually bigger, because then he says, you're just kidding. <laughs> and I... Sometimes I am just kidding, and I'll say, oh, okay, go ahead. But then sometimes I'm not. And so he, his smile actually gets bigger. You're just kidding. He's going to get his way, see. And I'll say, no, I'm not kidding, buddy. And he goes, <laughs> and this is what he, this is, ask my wife, this is the face. And he says, you're mean. <laughs> the expression of his face changed. It says, then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury and the expression of his face was changed against, against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. He wanted to kill them seven times faster, I guess. He wanted them dead. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now I want you to get how hot it was. These mighty men, it says, who do this all the time, grabbed up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They bound them in their clothes. They didn't even give them time to put the, the, the ritual clothes on them or anything. They bound them up just like they were, rushed them over to the furnace, opened the door, and as they were throwing them in, it was so hot it killed the guys that were throwing them in. Then it says, And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery But apparently there was another place that the king could view from. Because obviously he couldn't get close enough at that point. But there was, he must have had some way that he could view, which is just creepy, if you ask me. He's, he's, got, a, he's got it set up where he can look in and see them burning alive. Okay? Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? Didn't we throw in three guys bound up? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, 
But I see four unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. <laughs> yeah. That's good stuff right there. Then, then Nebuchadnezzar. You see how it dropped off the king after that moment? Have you noticed that? Every time it said King Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar, it talks about the one who is like a son of the gods. We know who that is. And then all of a sudden, he's not king anymore. Not in this sentence. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God. Servants of the Most High God, come out, come here, let me look at you. Let me stand before you. Let me come and see. You see how the tables have turned. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of these men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. They didn't even smell like smoke. I don't let my guys smoke in the truck when I'm working because I don't want to smell like smoke. They went into the fiery furnace and come out smelling like a rose. Amen. Nebuchadnezzar answered them and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command, set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue like this. Nobody else saves in this way. I ain't never came and saw nothing like this before. Everybody needs to change what they're doing right now. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province. Babylon. Hey, let's give God a hand for his story. I, we can just go on home right now. That's a good story. You go home tonight. What's cool today, see, is that uh, they're, I think either last week or this week, they're learning about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego too. So uh, go home and talk to your kids about your story and you guys sharpen each other. That's what we love here at the well. Today, we look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and how they displayed fearlessness when threatened with certain death by blazing fire within the furnace. You see, I want to talk about a few different things today, and I want to address a few questions that you may have. Number one, how, how could they look this horrible fate in the face and not buckle under the pressure? And you're asking the same thing. Brandon, you tell me that the Bible says not to worry. You tell me that I'm to walk uh, in a life that's fulfilled with my head held high, not because I've got it all together, not because my life is, is perfectly set to the way that I think that it should be, but because I walk with my head held high because I'm a child of the king. I know, I, I know that sounds good to me. Just a second ago, every person in the room lifted your, eye, lifted your hands to, to, the, to the fact that the idea of no worry no worry in life sounds really good, but everybody put their hand down when I ask you who actually doesn't worry. Look, I might get a little extreme this morning, but I'm telling you right now that our God is calling us to power, to confidence, to, to fulfillment, to security that cannot be broken. And though we may fail and backtrack from time to time and start to worry about the things of life, we need to put Jesus Christ, we need to come and see. We need to gather in front of the king so that we can remember that this, is, this life is not my own. This is not mine. I've been bought with a price. He's not going to turn loose of his investment, and I've been brought into a family. He's not going to cast out his son. Come what may, I will be a what is the secret to standing firm when everything else around us seems to be just crumbling? What is that? And, and where do I look to find the answers to these massive questions? 
You see, we can't just come here on this Sunday morning. I may, I may share some good advice with you. I want to share the Word of God with you. And this truth, if implanted inside of you, not because it's coming out of my mouth. These are just the truths that I'm trying to hold on to, that I'm trying to learn, that I'm trying to walk in. It's because it's the Word of God. If you will implant these truths in your life, your life will actually start to transform before your very eyes. And you will be more secure. You will be able to face these things with no power and today I want to help you through that as I try to do that myself I want to help you to to stand firm I want to help you to stand firm in your faith by giving you the tools and wisdom to overcome some of your fears so we're going to look at this in three ways and uh, we're going to go through rather quickly um, but you will get the idea we won't go back through this whole story but we're going to take chunks of it and talk about it the first thing I want to talk to you and if you're taking notes you can write this down the first thing I want to talk to you about, about fear is the birth of fear. The birth of fear. Where does fear come from? Where does it start? What's the beginning of fear? Where does, it, where does it get its roots? We need to understand what it is that we are fighting against. We need to understand what it is that we are, are, are coming up against so that in our lives we can overcome that fear and live our lives so that this fear does not control us. It doesn't decide what we do and what we don't do but that we are set free from it, we need to understand this thing. The first thing, the birth of fear, the birth of fear is at the looming death of your God. The birth of fear is at the looming death of your God. The birth of fear comes out of the idea or the threat that whatever it is on the throne of your heart is going to die or is going to be wounded. We talked about how storms of life reveal our idols. This is kind of the same idea, but coming at it from a different angle. The birth of fear comes when your God is challenged and you're scared he's going to be defeated. This is fear. This is fear. And just like a storm will reveal our idols, so will fear. I want you to think about your life and the things that cause you worry, the things that cause you doubt, the things that make you fearful in your, in your heart, whether they be physical, whether they be emotional, wherever you are in life, that thing that's causing you fear, I want you to think about that thing and I want you to think about where it comes from and how it gets a handle on you like it does. If we feel threatened, if, we feel, if that thing that we love and that we hold dear to us, if we feel like that is threatened, then we become fearful. Isn't that right? You know, the guy that's got the fear of the wide open spaces. I'm not sure what he's scared of. But he's scared of getting lost, maybe. He's scared of, of, losing, of losing himself, losing things. I'm not sure. I know the, the fear of spiders. I, I don't really like spiders either. I've gotten a little bit better uh, over the years. I've had to because my wife, she's like, Spider! I'm like, I got it, baby. <laughs> yeah, last night we we're doing some construction in our house, and right now we've got remodeling, and, and right now we've got part of the floor torn up. And Heather, she's like, but a snake could come up through that hole. There's cold air. We've been talking about this hole. Cold air is coming through. It's cold in this house. There's bugs everywhere. <laughs> she's like, there's spiders all over me. And that's how she jumped up. She's dancing around. I come over there. I'm like, where, where? She's paranoid about the hole in the floor. There's bugs everywhere. Feels threatened. Feels threatened, the things that we love. And not all fear is necessarily bad. You've got to understand that, too. Not all fear is bad. Sometimes fear is needed. It's an essential. You know, sometimes it is a survival mechanism that when we are threatened, but oftentimes it can reveal our idols because we're fearful and worried about things that we shouldn't be worried about. The birth of fear is at the looming death or the threatening of anything that you love, especially if you've set it on the throne of your heart. The birth of fear is at the looming death or threat of your God. The second part of that is, is that you're never scared of anything unless it challenges or threatens that which you love. You see, you're not scared. There can be things in this world that I may be scared of that you're not scared of. There could be things in this world that you're scared of that I'm not scared of. There could be things in this world that, that someone would look at and say, that's not scary at all. But others find it very, very scary and even terrifying because they feel a threat from that particular thing, whereas you may not. And I'll tell you right now, 
that it doesn't take much for something to go from non-threatening to threatening. It's kind of like Ezekiel. When I tell him, I say, no, you can't play with that right now. And he says, you're just kidding. That's what he tells me. See, I'm not threatening him at all. He still, in his mind, is sold to the fact that he's going to get his way. And he is going to come out on top. But as soon as I say, no, I'm not kidding, he's threatening. And the very same thing I just told him is no longer funny, but it is threatening. And he goes, you have made me threatening. Let me give you an example of this. Here's something that's not threatening at all. Uh, everybody go, uh, one, two, three. Uh, not threatening at all. I mean, look at little baby, little baby. You know, that's what you want to do when you see that joker, isn't it? Hey, little baby. All right, let's see the other one. Ah! Very threatening. Somebody please call 911. <laughs> okay, take that off there. It doesn't take much for something that's not threatening at all. Something that's rather cute. And adorable and funny. And all of a sudden, oh my. Can he do that? This is church. That was a zombie baby. Did you see that, honey? Listen, the greatest way for Satan to manipulate you through fear. And this is key. Write this down. If you take notes, write this down. You're never scared of anything unless it challenges or threatens uh, that which you love. And that's true. Something can go from not very threatening at all to very threatening in just a matter of, you know, an iPad app. And the craziest thing is, is that Satan is so crafty. He's very crafty. He's a good liar. Write this down. This is, this is uh, something that you'll need to grab. The greatest way for Satan to manipulate you through fear is to lead you to love the wrong thing too much. You see, every, every movie you ever watch that talks about evil, that talks about Satan, and, and it talks about demons and, and spirits and things like that, what is it always like? Satan comes, you know, you, you take movies that we should n none of us should be watching, and, 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 and Satan is pictured as this, you know, red guy with horns, or, you know, he's got the zombie face, and argh. You know the girl from Exorcist? If I could do it, I would, but I'll just do it like this. You know? Her head turns around. and But Satan, very, have you, has anybody ever seen anybody's head turn around? No? Satan, I'm not going to say never because I'm, I'm sure there are instances. I, I believe demons are real. Satan, the Bible says, parades as an angel of light. He's not going to be that obvious. He's not stupid. You know, most of you, you see the, the headless horseman, you're like, oh my goodness, run, run, honey, grab the kids. But if he comes up as, you know, a beautiful little kid or, you know, something that's very enticing or looks very good, then you invite him right on in. Satan doesn't parade around as a, as a, as a demon-possessed girl with black around her eyes. He parades as an angel of light. You have to be on your guard. You have to be careful of what you stand to behold. And, and the way, this is, this is verses 1 through 7, you've got to understand, the way that Nebuchadnezzar went about paralyzing these people through fear was to set something up that they were in love with. And in this instance, you know what that is? It's self-preservation. It is self-exaltation. Do you see, do you see the, the text when he goes in and he gets all of the, the officials in? All the important people come and they're standing before this image. So if you don't do it, you're saying, I'm not part of that. I'm not part of that crowd. You're disassociation, disassociating yourself with everybody that's important in that community, in that culture. It's social murder. So, so King Nebuchadnezzar is setting up something that they love, and that is themselves. That is their self-preservation. I need to be a part of this. I need to be a part of this thing. And if you'll notice the distinction between Nebuchadnezzar's gods and this image. You see, this wasn't an image of Nebuchadnezzar's gods. He had his own gods. 
This was an image of a blanket God. It was a public worship. He, was, he wasn't even telling them that they couldn't worship their God. He was saying, you can worship your God, but you keep that in private, and you come out here and bow down to this like everybody else. It's exactly relevant to what we're doing today. Everybody in our culture wants you to bow down to the media norms and, and everything that they're trying to tell you is right. Sex outside of marriage, the way that kids dress nowadays, the way that we talk to our mothers and fathers, the way that we go about life, what we try, the way that, that, that silly little men won't grow up, silly little boys, I should say, won't grow up. And our culture says it's okay that they're just trying to find themselves. We've created a whole section of, of age called adolescence that never existed before because our society says, well, they need time to experiment. No, they don't. They need to get a freaking job. Amen? They need to get out of the house. They need to be taught by their moms and dads how to work. They need to be pulled up out of this gutter that they call trying stuff out and experimentation, adolescence. No. But see, if you don't cave to that, if you, let me take this, and i got to move on. If you spank your kids nowadays around the certain people, they're going to look at you like, like you're horrible. Like you're horrible. I've had that happen to me before. We were at the pumpkin patch, and, and I'll move after this. We were at the pumpkin patch uh, several years ago, and Titus, this is when he was a little smaller, and he kept going around and jumping on the pumpkins and smashing them. And I told him, I said, Titus, stop doing that. Well, we'll walk a little farther. He sees another one. Bust the pumpkin. Titus, do not do that. That is not ours. That's destruction of private property. <laughs> Please do not do that again or it will be disciplined. That's what I tell him. We want to be straight. I want, to know, I want him to know why he's getting disciplined and that it's coming so he can prepare. Well, we walk farther. And again, so, yes, I'm here, I'm here. You can send an email, I won't read it. But as soon as I gave him a pop, and I didn't do it out of anger, he needs to know, he can't do that. As soon as I gave him a pop, this lady comes running up. You can't do that. Don't you ever do that to him again. What are you thinking, you abuser? <laughs> and I was like, who are you? You know, this, I mean, what in the world? And my wife was there, but she wasn't walking right beside me at the time. Actually, a, a good friend of mine's wife was. And she was taking up for me. And she told the lady, said, uh, ma'am, you didn't see what the kid was doing. He deserved that pop. And, it, and she, looked, she thought that this was my wife. She looks at her, and this is what she said, no joke. She said, I can't believe that you would take up for him. He probably beats you at home. <laughs> I'll, do, I'll do like this. Okay, ma'am. <laughs> Walk on this way. I don't even know why I was telling that story. You know what? You have to be careful. Because Satan is very, very crafty. He is looking to parade as an angel of light in something that has, has no reason to be on the throne of our hearts. He can take it up in just a second. The next is the life of fear. And I want to I talk to you just a second about where fear, where fear lives, where it grows, and where it matures. And we're going to go through this really quickly because I think you need to understand that fear is birthed in the heart. And, and it looms, it, it comes about when we are challenged or, or when something that we love, and especially when our false gods or our functional saviors, have we used that term here before? A functional savior is anything that you set in Jesus' place. Jesus is the savior. But a lot of times we have functional saviors, and we will get this savior or that savior, these false idols, to do a certain function in our life. And so money very often is a functional savior. It makes you feel secure. It gives you falseness of security. And it makes you feel good about yourself in many different ways and aspects. And a lot of times we start to put our trust in that. And it's a functional savior. It becomes an idol in our life. And we continually worry because, as you know, in this economy, money comes and goes. More often goes. Right? So if you've got your trust in money, you're going to be like, oh, my God. All the time. All the time. 
And so what I want to talk to you about is where that, where that fear really lives, where it lives in your life. And, and, and fear lives in pride. Fear lives in pride. And the reason I say that is, is that, number one, pride is the mother of all sins. Pride is the mother of all sins. When you find yourself in sin, when you find yourself struggling with something, 99% of the time, if not all the time, and I think all the time, it's going to come back to pride, self-preservation, and self-exaltation. And I'll give you an example of that, is bullying. You know, a lot of the people look at a bully, and especially if you're being the one bully, and you look at him like they've got it uh, all figured out. They're, they're up here, they push people around because they can, because they've got the power, because they've got whatever, and, and, and they push people around, they hurt people, but they do it all out of fear. It's all out of fear. Because the thing is, is that that fear lives in that pride. And this bully is so, so proud. And a lot of the times, you are the same way. You're so proud. The thought of you not being what you think you are creates all types of fear inside of you. So you're willing to give up things that you no wouldn't normally give up. And you want to continually knock others down a notch so that you can feel better about yourself. It's a self-preservation thing. Fear lives in pride. When we start to, to, to be prideful and think that we're the ones that, 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 that have it all together and that everybody else needs to follow, you see that in the second uh, portion of the scripture. The first portion is, is the birth of fear, and what Nebuchadnezzar did was he set up something that, that created a love, that created a draw, that created something that these people thought that they need to have to, to preserve themselves, namely to be named among the officials and to not lose their lives. It was a self-preservation. So they were willing to give up the things that were important to them because their God was being challenged. They were fearful. But the second is, is that we, was, we see the Chaldeans who came, and they thought this is the way it needs to be. And they built this pride. They, they, they sought this fear in this pride, rather, by going to Nebuchadnezzar and saying, O king, live forever. You see, they built him up. They built him up so that Nebuchadnezzar's fear was multiplied beyond reason. That's why he got so angry. You see how fear and pride go hand in hand. The more Nebuchadnezzar's pride was challenged, the more fearful he became, the more extreme he became, the more sinful he became. And so they, they went before Nebuchadnezzar and they said, Oh, king, live forever. Did you not make a decree? Didn't you say this thing? And now there's these men. They're not even listening to you. You know what that's going to make you look like, king? Can you believe that they would have the audacity to not listen to you, O oh king? And it says that, that, his, that his fury raged inside of him. That somebody would question me. Fear lives in pride. Fear lives in pride. And the more you think of yourself, please hear me out. You want to stop worrying? You want to stop living in fear? And let me tell you this. We're, we're really combining a couple of different ideas here. We're taking fear, which comes from pride, and it leads in, and it'll be the next point, the next point number three. It finds itself grown up in all types of different things. It finds itself grown up in, in hurt, in pain, in murder, in chaos. But it all starts with the pride. You want to do away with the fear? You want to do away with the fear? You must not think too highly of yourself. You must not think too highly of yourself. We're still on number two. You must not think too highly of yourself. Because what happens is, is that you get so built up on yourself, on yourself, as soon as yourself is challenged, you crumble and fall apart, and fear happens, and then it leads you to do things that you wouldn't normally do. Let's give a poor example. You think very highly of yourself and what your friends think about you and living at a certain status, okay? Having a certain type of thing. So as soon as that is challenged, as soon as you have the threat of losing your job, or as soon as you have the threat of someone coming in and taking something from you that you find identity in, it terrifies you. So... The idea of losing your job, the idea of not having enough money to pay your bills, the idea of not having this thing or the idea of not having this car or that car or this house or these friends, it terrifies you. 
oftentimes we build ourselves up and and the fear that we have keeps us from interacting with the people around us. That's why you have cliques and that's why you have bullies. I don't want to be seen with that person. If I'm seen with that person, can you imagine what that would do to my reputation? The second in this part is that fear grows in insecurity. Fear grows in insecurity. See, it lives in pride. It lives in pride and what you think about yourself. But it grows in insecurity. So the more you are challenged, the more your security is challenged, the more your fear grows. And you know this. It happens to you every day. You've got to see Jesus Christ. We'll talk about how to be set free from all of this right here. We're getting a handle on it right now. But what we're talking about, what we're seeing, what we're learning is, is that fear actually grows in insecurity. So it lives in your pride, what you think about yourself. And as your own self, as your pride, as your, as your own identity is challenged, your fear starts growing. So as your insecurity grows, your fear grows, and it starts to overwhelm you. So if you think too much of yourself, the fear is there. And when yourself is starting to be challenged, this fear grows so that it controls you and it takes you to different places, which is our second, our last point on this particular point, is that fear is mature in jealousy, covetousness, and murder. So we're talking about fear, and if you are prideful, if you are not humble before your God, if you do not realize it's all about Jesus and nothing about you, then you have that pride inside of you. And in that pride lives fear, okay? And as yourself, as you are challenged and become insecure, whether that be through money, whether that be through what people think about you, whether that be through the cars that you drive, or any other addiction that you might have, as soon as those things are challenged, then the fear grows. You can take it into a drug addiction as well. You see, you find your identity in those drugs. You thought a certain level about yourself. You need these to make you feel better about yourself. And as soon as these things are challenged, you start to get fear and you start to do crazy things. I'll tell you what. I know guys who have drug addictions. And as soon as you, they start to, to not have those things, they will rob, steal, and everything else to get that stuff. Because their security is challenged. Because at this point, they're getting their security from the drugs and alcohol. See, the same thing through men who are professionals who get their identity and their security through their jobs. You show me a man who gets his security and his identity from his job, he gets fired and crumbles. I'll show you a man who his job was his God. It grows in that insecurity. And in the end, fear is mature in jealousy, jealousy, covetousness, and murder. So it's found in the pride. It grows in the insecurity or the threat of taking away the security. And then at the end of the day, it's full-blown in these things, jealousy, covetousness, and murder, because you're so afraid of your, your God being killed that you will take from people, you will long for what other people have, you will, you will kill. And in this instance, Nebuchadnezzar had full-blown fear, and he was willing to kill because they were disrespecting and taking away from his identity. Do you, does that make sense? got to not think too highly of yourself or you will die you'll be a killer you'll be so lost in self-preservation that you will be terrified every moment of every day you get up and, and it happens to it happens to the best of them and a lot of people want to associate sin with with drugs alcohol all the obvious sins but I'm telling you right now, Satan does not come in those ways every time. He's very good at making men very successful so that he can enslave them to sin. You show me a man who's had a job and he's built up a big, nice, fancy house and he's got a big mortgage and he's got a nice car. If his job starts to be threatened, that man will wake up every day terrified wondering what he's going to do thank you God this word is to us all the last is thankfully the death of fear the death of fear because what I've told you is that we are in a dilemma because we all by nature 
are children of wrath. We all are very prideful and, and, and we all want to exalt ourselves and, and we're enemies of God. We don't want to see him. We don't want to look at him. We want to look away. We could do this thing ourselves. How many men in here that walk around with your chest poked out going, I got this. I don't need this God. And so oftentimes the storms come and the fiery furnaces come to help us to see that it's not about us and that we can't do it on our own because the whole time God is saying, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. You can't. And so the death of fear, this is, this is beautiful right here. I want you to listen to this. God gave me this and I'm, I'm pleased to give it to you. If the birth of fear is the looming death of your God, then the death of fear is the resurrection of your Jesus. If the birth of fear is the threat of your God or the looming death of the things that you hold most dear, then the death of fear is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it says, O death, where is your sting? Where is your victory, O death? Where is your sting? You see, the fear is gone because our God lives. Let me draw those two together a little bit. You see, we become very fearful when the thing that we hold most dear to us is challenged or is threatened with death or corruption. We get very fear. They're going to take it away from me. They're going to take it away from me. They're going to take it away from me. What am I going to do? This is going to be gone. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? We're so fearful. We start to look. Why do they got it so good? Why do they got it so good? And I've got I've to deal with this. God, I can't believe I lost my job. How could you do this to me? How could you take away my God? I was feeling good, God. I was secure. I had, I had 20000 in the bank. I had, I had 1000 in the bank. I had a million in the bank. How could you do this to me? I was okay, God. I was okay. I had a good job. My kids were here. I, were, I was pouring into them, God. I was reading the Bible to them, and, and I was leading them. And now they're walking away. I was okay. But now I'm not okay. You see how the fear is hung up in the threat to your God. But what if your God was eternal? What if the true God on your heart could not be threatened? What if he had already overcome death and guaranteed eternal life? What if you knew that nothing could challenge your God? Fear would be irrelevant. You see, if fear comes at the threat of your God, and the threat of your God is impossible because he's eternal, and he's on the throne, and he's victorious, and he cannot be defeated, and you cannot be taken, then fear is dead. It's all about who's on the throne. In, at the end of the story, at the end of the story, he he threatens them with certain death. He threatens them with certain death and he says, if you will bow down, then all well and good. But if you will not, I will cast you into the fiery furnace and who is the God that will rescue you out of my hand? And they looked at him and said, I don't even need to answer you. You see how secure they are? You see how secure they are? I don't even need to answer you. What if you lose your job? God will work it out. What if it doesn't work out like you thought it should have worked out? God is my king. He knows what I need. What if they threaten to take your life? To live is Christ and to die is gain. But if you do, if you cast me in, my God can save me. He can pluck me out of the fire. I don't, I don't even need to answer you, but so that you know, if you cast me into the fire, if you throw me into the furnace, if, they, if the trials come, my God can deliver me. 
He can save me from everything that you can throw at me. But if he does it, if he does it, all well and good because I trust him. And I would rather have him in the end than have you right now. Take what you want. My God is sufficient. He can save me, but if he doesn't, I will not bow down to your gods. I don't need them. I will not worship this image. I don't need them. I've got what I need. I'm asking you today, do you got what you need? He looks into the fire from his, from his spot, wherever he is. He looks into the fire, and he looks in, and he, this, this, I just want you to know, this fire right now is so important. It's so important because the, the church is built on the back of the martyrs. Faith is extended through the persevering of the saints. And as Nebuchadnezzar looked in the fire, he said, didn't we cast in three men bound up? What, didn't we tie them up? Didn't our schemes work against them? Didn't we tie them up? Didn't we bind them up? How many of you feel bound today? How many of you feel bound by the chains of money, the grind of the everyday life? The need to, to, to get money and to get things and to get acceptance and, and to get people to like you and to get, to get people to accept you, to get your kids to do whatever, and you're so bound up. But the king Nebuchadnezzar looks in and he says, didn't we bind them? Didn't we bind three? Didn't we wrap them up tight so that they couldn't get out? Didn't we have them on lockdown and threw them in? They said, yes, O king. Yes, O king, you know. He looks in and says, behold, I see four men, and they're walking around in the fire, unbound, free, to walk within the storm, to walk around within the fire. And the fourth one looks like one of the sons of the gods. As, as you think about your life, I don't want you to think that I'm up here trying to entertain you. I'm telling you about a God who loved you. You see, 1 John 4, 18 says that there is no fear in love. That perfect love casts out fear. It casts out fear. It puts it to death. It drops a hammer on it. What I'm telling you is, is that if you've experienced the truth and the love of Jesus Christ, it casts out fear because of the fact of the matter is he loved you so much that he went to the fire. He's walking with you in the fire. And even in the midst of the fire, though it, though it rages seven times hotter than anybody could ever imagine, though it's harder than you could have ever have thought, the fires of life, whatever that might be for you, he is walking with you in the fire. And it's this God who went to the cross and paid it all so that you would be fulfilled and have everything that you could ever possibly meet, need so that when they come to you with gifts and love and and false senses of life, you could say, I'm good. Fear dies when Jesus is born. Has he ever been born in your heart? You walk around in this world fearful, scared to death all the time. You grown men, stop fooling yourself right now. Because I know there are grown men in here saying, I'm not scared of nothing. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Stop fooling yourself and stop lying to me. Stop lying to God. You need Him. You think you got it all together? That's a perfect spot for fear to rise up and grab a hold of you. I'm telling you, let God change your life today. Let God be your God and let Him be your King before something else is knocked off the throne and you crumble beneath the pressure and burn up in the flames. Don't you see? He walked through the flames so that you would not have to. He went to the grave. He went to the cross so that you would not have to. As Nebuchadnezzar looked in, he said, wasn't there three? Now I see four. Jesus was the fourth. And he's not called king anymore. He calls them out. 
and he says, let me see. Colossians 1.15 says that he is the image of the invisible God, for by him all things were created, whether on heaven or in earth. In heaven or on earth. I'm telling you right now, guys. If Jesus is on the throne, fear is cast out. As we all stand to our feet, I want to ask you today, who's your God? And I want to call out some of you men and women who have been fooling yourself for a long time. You've not given Jesus Christ everything. You've not given him your whole life. He's not the king of your life, and you live in fear. Would you, would you allow him to kill the fear today? Would you allow him his proper seat on the throne of your heart? As they play this last song, we'll be up here praying for you, willing to pray for you, willing to listen to you. Come and tell us what you're struggling with. Some of you want to rededicate your lives today and start living for Jesus in a whole new way? I'll be up here. I'd love to talk to you. Hey, live fearless because your king lives and you cannot be defeated. Amen.